Untitled Beatles podcast. Oh boy, TJ. You know, it's been a hard day's day because it's it's still daytime outside. I, I can see. See, that's weird. It's nighttime where I am and we're not that far from each other. <laughs> well, you're in the suburbs, man. You know, things are different over there, man. Fuck. I became the guy I never won. I was the asshole uh, who would yell at people at camp when they'd say they were from Chicago. Where are you from? Chicago? Where? Deerfield, you fucking asshole. I'm from the shy, man. I'm 312. I'm city born and raised and moved to Evanston. I'm like, oh, fuck. Half my identity's gone. I gotta be, I gotta fake being a bigger Bears fan now. <laughs> Overcompensate. Overcompensate, for it. yeah. Where you from? from? Chicago, Chicago where? Deerfield. Beyond the Bears, I'm, I'm from, from the, the shy, man. I'm 312. Well, today we're gonna talk about a hard day's night here on the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. I'm TJ Shanoff, and this album's not as good as Asia's Alpha, <laughs> which I might have made up an, an Asia album title. <laughs> I thought that was when they scored that episode of Alf, right? They, they called it Alpha. <laughs> Alf! Hey, hey Willie! Now, of course, TJ, when we said we were going to talk about the Hard Day's Night, we were talking about the USLP, so not the UKLP, nor are we talking about the film today. And we'll, we'll get to those maybe on a later date, but today we wanted to focus on the US version of the soundtrack from Hard Day's Night. As we continue our deep dive into the uh, US albums, and this has only been a quote-unquote capital album since 1980. It was oh right. It was on United Artists, the only Beatles album on that label. The United Artists did also release 45s, by the way, of because they didn't have the right to release all the 45s from the film. Right, those fell under Capital, so they made up for it by releasing some of the George Martin instrumental stuff <laughs> as 45s. I think a couple of them even had picture sleeves. But yeah, United they Artists, did. who produced and distributed the film. Um, got the right to release the soundtrack album, but with only a limited amount of songs, which is why it's augmented. Unlike the uh, British EMI version, the worldwide version, it's augmented by songs by the George Martin Orchestra. And this album, as we say a lot, Tony, I know you're going to go into the spe specifics of this album, but this disappeared in the CD era. Oh, totally. From when this album was deleted from the Capitol catalog and Capitol reissued the UK versions on vinyl in 87, then again in 95. The last vinyl pressing of this was 88 and it did not see release again to the u.s albums in 2014 yeah i think i'm holding i probably have an 88 pressing it's the uh it, it came in a cellophane sleeve which is always fun you can listen to this listen to this sleeve it's the rice paper sleeve <laughs> yeah. the capital was using fab for asmr yeah, and it's the small capital logo on the label. That's how you know that. And instead of in the in the rim print, instead of MFD by capital, it spells out manufactured by capital. That's <laughs> how right. you know it's a last <laughs> pressing. You're very right. There it is, the full word. There you go. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And Tony, one thing about that, when, when capital did the last pressings in 88 of the U.S. vinyl, they gave every... They changed the catalog numbers for every record except A Hard Day's Night. Did kept the same SW catalog number. Interesting. Everything else became had the C1 prefix except A Hard Day's Night. That's funny, man. It is curious. It's like, well, wait, how did United Artists get the rights to these Beatles songs during the height of Beatlemania? And it was because they secured the rights in October of 1963. They had their fingers on the pulse of what was going on in Britain. And at this point, Capitol had not put out any Beatles material. And so United Artists secured the rights for the music in the Beatle movie that would eventually be coming out. And that's why United Artists has the rights to the seven, well, yeah, seven songs that are in the film. And this album, the U.S. soundtrack album, came out, what, a week or two before the rest of the world got the 14-track uh, version? Yeah, yeah, this album came out, it was Rush released because it was like Capital was also chomping at the bit with something new, which we reviewed uh, a few episodes back. That came out like a month after this came out. So they were, they were kind of like, we got to get this record out, <laughs> you know, kind of like this is the only time we can release this and get the most for our dollar or whatever. 
when and other titles that were rush released include Tom Sawyer, <laughs> Spirit of Radio, <laughs> Free Will. Not to be confused. You people often confuse Free Will with Michael Jackson's theme to Free Willy. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are confusing those two. Let's set the record straight here on the Untitled Beatles podcast. And also, don't let Getty Lee near your children. <laughs> no, I think you're mixing that up. You're mixing okay. that up. I DJ. never understand. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Can I tell you something about United Artists? This yeah. is fun. So United Artists has a label that started in 1957, and they did soundtracks. But they also did rock and roll stuff. So... Things like uh, The Clovers, Love Potion Number no. 9, Manfred Mann, Doo Diddy. They had the Easy Beats, the Australian group, uh, Friday on My Mind with their big hit. They also did jazz, uh, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Mose Ellison. Trivia, TJ, trivia. The most commercially successful artist on the United Artists label was Kenny Rogers in the 1970s. And for the world's most commercially successful chicken, it's got to be Kenny Rogers Roasters. If you currently live in the Malaysia area or have a decent layover in Southeast Asia, it's imperative that you enjoy a hot container of delicious roasting Kenny Rogers approved chicken. T-shirt says eat healthy. Teacher says we must eat healthy. Kenny Rogers roasted. See, I always heard it as teacher. You know, I heard it as teacher too, but the copy says T-shirt. So there, mu there must be some, something happened at the copywriting. We got a big independent agency that forgets about us sometimes. We matter too. <laughs> yeah, we do too. Yeah, we matter. So, hey, copywriters, quit putting these typos in there. Copyright, Johnny. Now, how am I supposed to follow that after this goddamn typo? <laughs> that was my Casey case. <laughs> okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. Thank you. Where were we? Yeah, so, so United Artists, I mean, I, I have a copy I'm holding up here. I have the same one that you have of the 88 Capital, but this is the final United Artists pressing on this 1977, I think, Sunrise label. Oh, that's awesome. That's kind of got this. And it's still the copy you have, the other Purple Capital version of this, the Capital issued in 80, they all use the same master. So you're still getting the duophonic stereo. Even when this went to Capital, they used the same plates as United Artists did. It was the same mastering. Yes, yes. That's what. That's how I, f I found the my 88 copy was fake stereo, the duophonic. They took the mono, they phased it slightly, and one channel's got the high-end pass and the other channel's got the low-end pass. So it's the mono mixes, but put through the, the funny duophonic thing, which is kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, it is. Kinda, I mean, it's it sounds silly to say like, oh, yeah, fake stereo is cool. I guess I'd rather have mono mono, but it's still I don't know. I guess it's just one other way to hear it. I guess I don't know. You are hearing a demonstration of duophonic sound. An exclusive capital electronic advance that brings stereo characteristics to once in a lifetime monophonic recordings. So this is the way that like I learned I, I the first copy of this I have is, is a 1980 pressing. I've got the big purple capital version of this from 1980 and hearing like mono single tracked and I love her and mono single tracked if I fell and the extended version of I'll cry instead. Yeah. Are yeah. how I always so when the CD came out of this in early '87, there even though that was mono, different mono version than what the U.S. got on this duophonic mono. There, there yeah. exists multiple different mono versions of this, and that was proven in the '87 CD, which does not have mono uh, extended. I'll cry instead. It does not have mono single tracked and I love her 
on the original mono version that we got in 87. The British invasion has made a comeback in America this week. This time, though, it's in the form of CDs, compact discs. At the Wax Museum in Dinkytown, Beatle fans put in their CD orders weeks ago. Yeah, it's true. And this is actually also how I first heard this record, too. And uh, I remember I, I bought it at the record store. I probably was in eighth or ninth grade. I want to... I want to say the, the impetus for me buying this was because uh, I wanted, I, if I fell, you know, I didn't have that song yet to listen to. I think I had, I want to say Beatlemania does it, right? Doesn't Beatlemania? Yeah, Beatlemania does it in the movie. So I had like, I could watch the VHS dubbed from the video rental place. Better version. <laughs> With Tom Teeley. Tom Teeley. Yeah, man. <laughs> And David Leon doing the the lead vocal, Lee Fre <laughs> Lee Frednick. Who's the other guy? Well, Ralph Castelli <laughs> was the drums. Tom Cheeley was Harrison. Oh, and Mitch Weissman. Which of course, how could we, we forget? Because we say his name too much on the show. <laughs> Mitch Weissman has not had this much play since the press tour of Beatlemania in '78. We give another cheer for Mitch Weissman. Here he is. Um, but yeah, this, so I, I think that's the reason why I bought this. And it was one of those things, like, I remember seeing the British Hard Day's Night in stores, but this one was cheaper and I actually liked the cover more. Cause I, I don't know. I mean, there's something I liked about this layout with the big, you get four squares as opposed to however many are, are on the uh, British version. Um, how many pictures? What a great trivia question. So there's obviously four Beatles. So, you know, one column is four. And there's five pictures of each beetle. So there you go, 20 pictures. So four versus 20. Tw <laughs> Who wins this battle? Four versus 20. Well, the thing about... 420, motherfucker! 420, bro. <laughs> Is that when this one's airing? I hope so, dude. Woo! Spark, spark it up! <laughs> I love the 420 thing that just like... It turns into like a monster truck rally. Like, yeah, man, we're going to get it so fucking high. We're going to fight. I'm going to rip on kids all fucking day. You know, my birthday's 420. Oh, yeah, man. Well, hey, man. Tokes to you, bro. <laughs> Thanks, Holmes. WIF presents U.S. Hot Rod. All-American Pulling Invitational. Sponsored by Kmart. It's a party in the pit. Hey, man, your birthday's 420. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. I've got a Beatles <laughs> podcast to do. Yeah. Yeah, this, I, I will tell you, and I've said this on the show before, that pressing that you have, you're holding in your hand is the best sounding, because while nothing was remixed, I'm pretty sure the engineer capital for the final U.S. Capitol vinyl, Wally Traugott, I think his name was, uh, boosted levels, and for the first time since, I think, yesterday today in the mid-70s, they EQ'd the last American Beatles vinyl one final time. Mm on those small manufactured by Purple Capital labels. And to my ears, they sound the very best. And you can find them in, in the best condition because unlike the albums on the Orange Capital and the even the Rainbow Reissue from 83, people who bought those didn't listen to them a million times like they did the earlier pressings. These were the last ones yeah. in 88 when the CDs had come out a year before. You had to be a pretty diehard fan or not entirely know what you were buying to buy these last capital issues that's why i love them so much and they're always 40 or 50 bucks at like a reckless but worth it if you can find them wow. look for the c1 prefix or the best sounding american vinyl i'd ever heard it's been a Shall we go track by track as we do through the U.S. version of A Hard Day's Night, TJ? Fine, I got a bus to catch. Go! <laughs> okay. Well, of course, it starts with the title track and its iconic cinematic opening chord, the, the confusing chord that nobody knew what this chord was for so many years. It's, oh, I mean, it's the sound we use to open this show, but we put a boing sound effect over it. Hello, lawsuit. <laughs> Hello, lawsuit. <laughs> your suit uh yeah i mean this in duophonic i always said the opening chord in stereo sounds weak the opening chord in mono is very aggressive 
I love the opening chord and do a phonic. I mean, I, I love the opening chord, however you hear it. But to me, I've always kind of loved this mix. Maybe it's the first way I heard the first notes of this record. I'm pretty sure the first time I heard this was on the, the Red Album, which was one of the yeah. first Beatles albums I had. That's that's how I would have heard it too, first time, yeah. And I can't, I th- I'm pretty sure that's the duophonic stereo as well, because I don't think there was a true stereo release of this until real music in 82. Yeah. I think it's the first time this song was ever released in the States in true stereo. Yeah, yeah, I think that, and maybe Ticket to Ride, but the reason people bought real music was for that, and to rebuy the Magical Mystery Tour booklet, <laughs> which had been deleted from the Magical Mystery Tour pressings. They remember they yeah. put a purple bar, yeah, the over purple the bar includes. for no reason, right. and it's like, well, wait, you had those, where <laughs> so you. You just put them in a different record. <laughs> you fucking weirdos, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Capital at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, what, what can be said about the song? Mono, stereo, duophonic, it doesn't matter. This is, it's one of the greatest openers of a film, of a record, as a single. This song takes everything great about the early days of Beatlemania and encapsulates it into uh, one of their most joyful songs ever put on record. I want to break down that chord real quick. Yeah, please. I, I I try. I don't know. I I don't know how to play it. <laughs> well, you need a bunch of people. That's the thing. You need like a band to do it. Uh, this is how they did it, and this is actually how I composed it. I had to, I redid it for our little uh, our little bumper sound that we used. Um, I just did it. Uh, I didn't have these things, but George Harrison played an F add nine chord on his Rickenbacker twelve string, which was his new guitar, the signature sound. Yeah. John Lennon also played an F add nine, but on a Gibson acoustic six string. Paul plays a D. And it's actually the D tones that are resonating in the whole of John Lennon's Gibson. Uh, Yeah. And (laughs) George Martin's in on the action. I think he's playing a G chord without the B. So he's playing a low D. Lodi, just about a year ago, I was sitting on down the road. That's a CCR song. Seeking my fame and fortune. I think it's pronounced Lodi. It just made me think of yeah, it. Yeah, Lodi. I'm looking for a heart of gold. It's a great song. Yeah, about Lodi, New Jersey, home of uh, Glenn Danzig and the Misfits. All right. All right, New Jersey. What does they vote? They were Lodi, California, the wine country up there. <laughs> anyway. Wine country. <laughs> and then finally, it's very subtle. I never would have picked this up ever. Do you hear Ringo in there? Because he's in there. He plays a snare drum and a little bit of the ride cymbal. So that's all in there. One, two, three, four. <laughs> that's not it. You're playing this, boy. One, two, three, four. What'll be nice about that, Tony, is when they release, like, if they go back and do remixes like they've done of the later albums of the early stuff to really hear that separation in, like, 5.1. I guess it's on the DVD. I don't have a 5.1 system, but... Can you hear that chord in 5.1 and break everything apart a little better than you can on this record? I don't know. A good question. That's like an Ask a Boomer question. Who who has the 5.1? You know, whoever can, whoever's sitting around with five speakers and they're all pointed at, you know, your head in your magic room that no one else can go in. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Ask a Boomer. Ringo came up with the title, ultimately. I was doing a bit at the top of the show, but yeah, yeah. It was probably a shoot day. I don't know what, but it was sometime around the time of this filming. And he said, it's been a hard day. And he looked around and noticed it was night. And he said, night. And somebody remembered that later when they needed a title. Yeah, it's uh, referred to as like a Ringo Malaprop. Yes. One of Ringo's many Malaprops. Yeah, both John and Paul use that word to describe things that Ringo says. That's right. Kind of like those Yogi Berra things where he would yeah. say fun, funny things. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Famously, other Ringo Malapropisms, Ringo-isms, were uh, what Tomorrow Never Knows uh, was another of his. The future ain't what it used to be. My favorite Ringo Malaprop is, I'm warning you with peace and love. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm warning you with peace and love. Well, once he said those words and once they found out that was the title, it changed. Do you know the original title of this was, was Beatlemania? And I think that's a good thing because then, you know, the Beatlemania guys would have sued them later in the 70s, you know? So it's a good thing. The original you know? name of Beatlemania was A Hard Day's <laughs> Night Live on Stage. <laughs> Change that title. Uh, I have a Maureen Cleave quote. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo. Different Maureen. <laughs> One day I picked up John in a taxi and took him to Abbey Road for a recording session. The tune to the song A Hard Day's Night was in his head. The words scrawled on a birthday card from a fan to his little son, Julian. When I get home to you, it said, I find my tiredness is through. Rather a feeble line about tiredness, I said. Okay, he said, cheerfully, and borrowing my pen, instantly changed it to the slightly suggestive, when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. I'm tired of Maureen Cleave. <laughs> She's going to be up again for Fifth Beatle next year, so <laughs> get right. used to it, man. Get your vote's ready. <laughs> I feel like she took responsibility for a lot of stuff. J- John only grunted before I told him to stop grunting. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one who served Paul scrambled eggs. <laughs> you better cut the pizza into four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. Well, yeah, the song famously ends with George Harrison on the 12 string playing that uh, F add nine chord again, a little arpeggio going on that. And after Roger McGuinn saw that and saw the guitar he was playing, he went out and got a Californian Rickenbacker 12 string. And uh, yeah, that signature sound that George became the the birds kind of sound, you know, they mix that with Dylan and you got the birds like a year later. Of all the great things this album brought us, this album changed the birds into being more folk rock than just pure folk. And that's pretty neat. Good song, man. It's a classic. Uh, Next song up is Tell Me Why. Vocal. This is the vocal version, as it says on all the songs here that tells you it's a vocal or an instrumental. Uh, There is no instrumental version of Tell Me Why on this album. I want to say it's on, uh, there is a George Martin record. uh, On United Artists? Yeah. Yeah. Off the Beatle Path or something like that. Off the Beatle Track, maybe? Yes, yes, yes. We've talked about this song before. Uh, it's one of our favorites. It's you know, it's the Beatles doing a girl group thing, Motown girl group song with yeah. so so much conviction and energy. And it's great. It's great here in in uh, as it says here in my notes, TJ, love it in the two hole. love tell me why uh ringo's fill to begin this he kind of stumbles into it it's such a great beginning who else can stumble into a song that's kind of a fill and kind of a stumble and not sound sloppy or disjointed like every time he touched the drums he was laying rhythm down it doesn't sound like some how do we make this open it's a natural but weird opening that is pure Ringo Ringo's drumming on this whole record the British one especially but Ringo's drumming on the Hard Day's Night era is some of my favorite drumming I agree it's exciting yeah yeah, I think Ringo still got the Beatlemania, whereas John and maybe Paul, less to a degree Paul, but mo- mo- more John and George are feeling the uh, the fatigue uh, and the effects of the busyness uh, and the lack of a life of Beatlemania. I think Ringo's enjoying it. I think Ringo's still riding, you know, because he doesn't have to worry about words and stuff. He can just still crank the 
he can feed off the energy of that crowd, you know, still. Yeah, you know, plus Ringo wasn't in the Beatles as long. So even though, you know, Rory Storm was a, a you know, a decent band, yeah. uh, Ringo wasn't part of the chaos as long as the Beatles had been for the preceding years. So I think yeah. Ringo was still kind of into it until he became a quitter and they were forced to bring in the better Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> His tonsils were a quitter. He did quit, though. Remember, he quit. The, he quit during the White Album. So you can call, you can call Ringo a quitter. And they they brought him flowers, and he came back. Yeah, he got some flowers. He got some telegrams. So that's all it took, really. Ringo on Telegram, where the truth is. <laughs> About that opening yeah. fill, though, I really think that happens because. He's a left-handed dude playing a right-handed kit, and you get a lot of those really interesting things that come out of Ringo Starr, you know? Also, man, I was listening to the vinyl, and there's some funny panning going on. That's my next note. They, They pan John to the left, and the band responds to the right. Yeah, on the backing vocals. It felt like a weird EQ thing that goes off to the right, like all the the response vocals. Yeah, it's wild. You don't get things like that on whatever, the Spotify or the YouTube or whatever you're streaming, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those fun, fun vinyl discoveries. Well, and we can buzz me if I'm wrong, but I think of the 2014 U.S. albums, because you remember in 04 and 05, Capitol released the American albums from the original masters yeah. um, in those kind of K-Tel cheesy yeah. looking box sets with the flimsy covers. What an embarrassment. Yeah. It's, it's everything but yesterday and today and a hard day's night. Which which mm. was maddening to have those two out, but uh, yeah. when they finally put this on CD in 2014, some of the mixes are faithful to the original vinyl. I don't believe Stereo Tell Me Why pans. I think it's the 09 remaster of Tell Me Why. So you can only get this on the vinyl copies uh, through '88. Yeah. So there you go. Another funny thing on the original pressings on the United Artists label, they misprinted it. Tell me who. Yes. Yeah, tell me who. Uh, next up is I'll Cry Instead vocal. Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, TJ, this is the long version. I mean, they it was it was never a full song, full disclosure. They recorded it in sections modularly in a way that like kind of Brian Wilson would do with things like Good Vibrations or whatever later on. But uh, they had an A part and a B part and... Uh, they put it together. This is the first version, actually, of the... This is the longer mix. Is the first mix, uh, clocking in at 2.06. I'm gonna break the hearts around the world. Yes, I'm gonna break them in two. I'll show you what your loving man can do. Until then, I'll cry and say. I obsess over this. And when this came out, uh, Capital, when they did the Hard Day's Night CD in 2014, they do have the extended version. They do it twice because there was never an extended stereo version. So in tribute to the duophonic, the mono and stereo versions on the same disc, the Hard Day's Night 2014, have this track repeated with the longer version. And something that, uh, so on something new where this song also appears, the stereo version is the short worldwide version, the mono is the longer version. But Tony, in my digging, I found some Beatle stamp collecting, Beatle forensic, is, Beatle forensics <laughs> as you call it, in my hand, an original swirl copy Ooh. of I'll Cry and Stab with the picture sleeve. Nice. That That's the mono version. This here is the Apple version of I'll Cry Instead. That's the original mono version. Uh-huh. This here is the 78 capital of I'll Cry Instead, the original mono version. <laughs> I have a 1988 small purple capital where I'll Cry Instead is in stereo. It's the short version. Oh, okay. And it says mono on the label, but it's the short stereo version. They switch which pressing they use for the final vinyl 45 version of this. I've had this probably since the early 90s and didn't know that this was in stereo. It's the only I'll cry instead on a U.S. Capital 45 
That is the stereo short version. So yeah, it, it's Beetle Forensics. It is. It's so weird. <laughs> it is Beetle Forensics. It gets your microscope out and your luminol and your 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 Liverpool luminol. <laughs> I got blisters on my fingers. Well, in the four hole, mm, clean up. <laughs> we have our first George Martin contribution. I should have known better. I always thought this had like a Hanna-Barbera feel to it. <laughs> yeah, it's got a 60s game show feel to it. Yeah, the trumpets and it's the high energy and... It's and fun. It's fun. George Martin's orchestrations, Tony, are so brilliant because even though it's of its time, I mean, the crisp eighth notes on the piano, the saxophone playing the second solo, um, the guitar plays the melody. Like, there's interesting yeah. stuff. It's not 101 strings. Like, no. It's George Martin conveys schlock without being schlocky. It works. They released United Artists, released these as singles, and this one charted at uh, 111. And they were all people who thought they were buying the Beatles version. Because the Beatles were pictured on the disc. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a bit of, yeah, it was a bit of, what is that? Is that chicanery? Is that what that is? I don't know. I'm pretty sure VJ was reissuing the early records for the ninth time while this was going on. Like, they had to. Songs, pictures, and stories. <laughs> That old wax is worth money. <laughs> but it's fun. It's a fun thing to put on. I mean, you know, there's that Chet Atkins record where he does all Beatles songs and it puts me in the mind of that a little bit. Yes. That's a good record. That's a fun, that's a fun record. to. I, I put that on on road trips and uh, remember like I drove through the Rocky Mountains listening to that. And it was very relaxing. It was cool. I, I love the cover of I Feel Fine on that record. It's one of my favorite because it lends itself so well to his playing. Well, getting back to the Beatles, they the Fab Four come back on side one with uh, "I'm Happy Just to Dance with You." I've always liked this song. We uh, we covered this on our Something New episode, but uh, I wanted to add what Cashbox had to say about this song. They called it a stomp, a rhythmic delight. I like their phrase. I, I'm, I might quote Cashbox throughout the episode because I like some of the things they had to say. Well, and it's it's a great Ringo cover, and it was the B side to "Slow Down." Oh, that's right. Wait, what? Right? <laughs> oh, cash box. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got took me because I was looking through my notes that I <laughs> took you on a journey there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, man. Ringo's theme. Just the small town boy. <laughs> Why didn't they use Journey in a Hard Day's Night? When was the last time you gave a girl a pink edged daisy? Oh, stop picking on me as bad as the rest of them. Well, when they recorded I'm Happy Just to Dance with You, it was the first time they went into Abbey Road on a Sunday. So they were usually in church. <laughs> they were. They were. They were. And uh, I, I just thought that was curious. I've always liked this song. It's a it's a it's a it's a fun song. It's one of the few Lennon McCartney songs that they gave to George. To sing. Could this, yeah, is this, this the, maybe the last one, maybe, right? So first is Do You Want to Know a Secret? 
Yeah. It's so funny to me how George is all over the Deco auditions, and then after they get the yeah. same label, they, they, they stop letting him. I think Sheik of Araby threw them <laughs> off a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, they're doing all that comedy stuff, and maybe they were like, all right, guys, no more of the... Do the comedy with the microphones and the press, but keep the comedy off the record. We'll let you say shend, but... <laughs> shend, but... Um, okay, do you put Happy Just Dance With You ahead or behind microbes from electronic sound? <laughs> I guess ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I love this song. It's one of my favorite, even though George didn't write it, it's one of my favorite George songs. Also holds the distinction of two B-sides in the Beatles 45, the B-side of I'll Cry Instead and the B-side of the Beatles movie medley. Although not on real music, they had a legal issue with the um, Fab Four on film that was supposed to be the B-side to movie medley. And they replaced it with them having just dance with you in 82. Just to dance with you. Well, and then we get another George Martin instrumental, the very mellow, and I love her. The piano. (laughs) Yes. To me, this is like Mrs. Robinson's seduction music, you know, in The Graduate when she like <laughs> totally turns that music on and it's like, whoa. Are you always this much afraid of being alone? Yes. Well, why can't you just lock the doors and go to bed? I'm very neurotic. You know, this song could put you to sleep, so I'll, I'll say that much. This is a very lullaby quality to it. Yeah, this one I, I've never enjoyed. This one, it's sad that it's it's a side closer. You know, in the in the rest of the world, got can't buy me love. Yeah, man. <laughs> and this it's would have been side one closer. Three minutes and forty two seconds. This is clearly yeah. the longest Beatles song. <laughs> Uh, it's not the Beatles, but it's on a Beatles record. You know what I mean? It's so. not the Beatles. An incredible simulation. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, but there's funny stuff. Like my note for this, listening to this again was, you know, the genius of George Martin. This is not my style of music, but my God, it's perfectly executed. I mean, and, and there's funny, there, there's stray bongos in the bridge, the key change with the oh, yeah. flute. The, yeah. There's a key change with a flute riff. Yeah. I mean... The strings get really dramatic too at times. It's like, oh, okay, all right. Like there's uh-huh. some there's some serious swells going on. Well, and he does a cool thing at the end of this. He adds tension to the chord misdirect, the key change at the end. Then after about three beats, gives one last on the piano. <laughs> like it's a funny moment. It shows his sense of humor. God, the the more uh, doing the fifth beetle contest and and the more I, I listen to the stuff like he is just such an extension of why the Beatles were so great. And even taking this Beatles song, making it so different, keeping the key change, making it funny. I give him a ton of credit. This is not my favorite music, Tony, but I love how well executed it is. Well, you flip the record and side two opens with, I should have known better. This is the vocal version, as it says here on the liner notes, vocal. This is the last Beatles song to feature a harmonica in the intro. And they're still on their Frank Ifield kick. They're Frank I feel Bruce Chanel bit. It's a lesser song. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the Beatles here, it's a lesser Beatles song. Uh, I might rank it higher than you. One of the things I love about this, because of the way it's performed on the train um, in the movie, I feel like it's also on the first U.S. Visit documentary. They um, they use this to show the Beatles on the train to D.C. 
I feel like this has kind of become one of their train songs because of how it chugs. Can you name the other Beatles train songs? Uh, the other Beatles train songs. There's three more. And this is the Beatles? Yeah. Well, obviously. One's a cover. Okay, well, there's one after 909. Yes. Um, is it Memphis, Tennessee? From the Help album, an original. Oh, I know. Last Train to Clarksville. That was the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> You're close. I think Ticket to Ride's a train song. I've always interpreted oh. Ticket to Ride as being a train song. I always thought they were getting on the Scrambler, you know, one of those rides at the, <laughs> the county fair. <laughs> the Scrambler. Get your eggs. Well, and and the other one, I don't know if, if you heard in the Let It Be session, they didn't make the um, the Peter Jackson film, but the Beatles covering Casey Jones, which the Dead Leader had a hit with. It's the only time they ever sang about cocaine. <laughs> you want to smell it, Steve? The reason I bought this record was for the song, the next song, If I Fell, vocal. Uh, it's the version where Paul's voice does not crack when he uses the word vain. So I think it's based on the mono, again, the mono with the yes. stereo fold down. Uh, have you ever heard a live version of this? I, I, it, it says that they played this on the U.S. and Canada tours in 64, often introduced as If I Fell Over. The next song we'd like to sing... To prove or not miming, it's a song from the film, What We Just Made. Excuse me. And it's called, If I Fell. Just as if. Right. If. <laughs> if I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true? And help me understand, cause I've been in love before. And I found that love was more than just holding hands. demo of this but i've not yeah. heard this done live the demo is the demo is just so beautiful to me isn't in its, it yeah. in its way the, the context of it just being it sounds so small and transistory it's it sounds so personal and like i feel like oh I, I i feel like i can see the little room i always picture it as being like a bedroom or a hotel room on tour somewhere and like us anyway I, I love that yeah <laughs> i love that if i felt demo. And Tony, there's it's poignant to kind of connect that demo to the Grow All With Me demo because yeah. they're both so small and so unfinished in that state or un, unproduced, I should say. And one was at the beginning of his fame and one's at near the end of his life. stuff i don't know um but yeah it's great and you know this i prefer the mono john lead out of the gate not double track single yeah if i fell in love with you that's how i grew up with the song me too i i i prefer it emotionally i prefer the cleanliness of the delivery i've never liked the slightly off kilter double track of this i've just i don't hate the song hearing it like that but i prefer it in mono when she learns we are two if I fell in love with you The 
ending is so simple and so great, and I feel like a lot of Beatles parodies and pastiches end their songs based on how If I Fell ends. So sixth, right? Is it one of their famous sixth chords? I forget. Yes, that's a six. Yeah, yeah. That was that was their th- and if I recall, George Martin tried to get them to not do that. He thought it was too like corny, maybe schmaltzy or something. But I, I yeah. love how the Beatles was stuck to it. Like, no, we're gonna do this old timey sixth did, chord thing. Didn't George Martin also say that about "She Loves You"? That Glenn Miller made your sixth. That's what they were trying to ape. That, yeah. that made sixth harmony. And George Martin was like, ah, it's a little, it's, it's, it's old. And the Beatles are like, not the way, not the way we do it. Not the way we're vocally blending. <laughs> yeah. Which is true. Which is true. It became their signature sound. Like anytime I, I personally am playing music and I end a song and do a sixth chord, I always take a bow. <laughs> it's like yeah, a, sure. it's a goofy in your, homage. In your suit. You know? <laughs> in my suit. I have to quickly put a suit on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, next up is And I Love Her, the vocal. Cashbox says, TJ, uh, it's extremely pretty, soft beat, cha-cha opus, and that the Beatles wax in soft and tender fashion. They say this song is ribbed for her pleasure. (laughs) No, that last part I made up, but they did say the other (laughs) They wax in soft and tender fashion. What do you think of that, TJ? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I like waxing. I like waxes. I used to love wax tracks on Lincoln oh, Avenue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is another one, Tony, where the mono lead Paul vocal out of the gate, the, yeah. the single track is I prefer and I love her too. I love the back to back. You get the the more sparse single track vocal takes yes. on these two incredible songs. I give her all my love. That's all I do And if you saw my love You'd love her too I love her Yes, this is Mono Mix 1, which is the single-tracked vocal version. They did another Mono Mix later that's on the UK pressings. So the UK Mono has the double-tracked vocal. This one jarred me when I got the CDs, and I I had to sign up for all four CDs at See Here Records on North Avenue. Oh yeah, in February of 1987 to get these first four CDs. It was a media event when they came out. One day we should talk about the CD releases and how fucking shoddy Capital pressed those CDs with no liner notes, <laughs> no liner notes, just just the the song titles and the numbers and the, the on numbers. The, yeah, now the songs had numbers with yeah. a little square around the, the digital. Digital square, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that was the that was the advancement in technology we had made was lacking graphics, crisper, clearer sound, but no right. nothing, no heart. <laughs> And I remember on our old Fisher CD player as a seventh grader (laughs) putting this on and hearing the double track mono and I love her and kind of feeling jolted because the stereo double track was on 62 to 66. Right. So that that wasn't a surprise that that was in the culture as long as anything in the States. But when did that come out? 73, the the red and blue albums. Yes. So when the 87 CDs came out, that it was jarring because the first four were controversially in mono. And hearing the double track amount of the time, I remember being shaken. <laughs> shaken, but not stirred. Paul said uh, this song, And I Love Her, was the first ballad I impressed myself with. And Lennon called it Paul's first yesterday. Pretty good. What's Paul's last yesterday back in <laughs> Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> right. Originally called Huevos Rancheros, <laughs> which they don't have in Brazil, but you know what I mean. What's a Brazil? And today I'm going to tell you my five favorite Brazilian breakfast. Tapioca. Pão francês. Pão de queijo. Bolo de aipim. Pão na chapa. Next up is our highest charting George Martin and company, uh, what was it, George Martin and his George swing? Martin and Bad Company. And <laughs> this is, uh, of course, I'm talking about Ringo's theme, parentheses, this boy, p- p- second parentheses, instrumental. <laughs> uh, yeah, this song, I love it. It's, it's this obviously is uh, the score when Ringo's having his kind of hungover moment by the Thames River over there, and he's taking a picture of himself, and there's some comedy that happens. 
Th- this is from maybe one of the most famous scenes in the movie. This is the scene that made Ringo think he was an actor because yeah. everyone afterwards kept telling him how great the scene was. And it, and it is a great scene. He's hanging out with an underage boy taking photos. <laughs> What I'm saying is, I, you know, peace and love, peace and love. I'm more to you. Get the fuck away from that kid, Ringo. I'm talking about boys. Yeah, yeah, boys. He's a bad boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Ringo. No, these are all bits, of course. Ringo's not that way. He wouldn't be, or we wouldn't be doing this show if it was that way. Um, yeah, it sounds so Hollywood. This to me is like the Hollywood strings like the production on this i love it i'm just saying like this the the strings there's a key change in here it's a beautiful key change (laughs) and the song ends on a major seven chord that never overstays his welcome it ends and then before you know it the song is over a lot of arrangements at that time would just end on the major seven and fade it out for nine seconds this is over in like a three count he hits that major seven, gets you the schmaltz, and then he's done. The taste of George Martin. Yeah, I mean, this is schmaltz in its highest quality, right? It is schmaltz, but it's performed so well. I also love that a Beatles song, they changed the title. Yeah. You know, this is what, this is in the, as you would say, the three-hole of their first American album. Now the first American album is introducing the Beatles. Sorry, their first oh. capital album. Yes, yes. And yes. Uh, Meet the Beatles, this is the third song, the B-side, I Want to Hold Your Hand, in much of the world. And they call it Ringo's theme. It's brilliant, beautiful underscore for one of the best scenes in the film. This is a neat moment on this record. One of my two favorite George Martin tracks. Yeah, for sure. Well, it charted. This one charted. It got all the way up to 53. So not bad for like an instrumental, you know, that sounded like something on, you know, mom and dad's, you know, one of those record players that looks like a piece of furniture, you know, on on the hi-fi, on the hi-fi. Well, yeah. The famous story is George Martin said he would never set foot in America unless one of his songs hit number 53. <laughs> <laughs> the famous story. Now, hold on here, man. So in 20... 20- <laughs> Yeah. In 2010, breaking news, this just in, in 2010, Jimmy Page seemed to recall playing on this session. He said he, he got called in to play guitar on a Beatles session that was incidental music. And a lot of people say that the rhythm guitar in the song is most likely Jimmy Page, who was a, he was a session player. Like he played, he might've played the solo on the Who's Can't Explain because he was a session guy in there. I think that solo is actually on Can't Explain Sounds More Townsend than Page, but uh, he he played, like I think he played at least a rhythm guitar or, you know, like an additional guitar on that record. I, I don't want to question your facts because I heard this too, but I thought Jimmy Page played lead on 12 Bar Original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that classic... Uh, <laughs> There's a cat trapped in the bathroom on that song. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a cool story. I, I didn't know. That's like John Bonham playing drums on Beware My Love. It is. It really is, which I, I like that version. I wish they'd kind of like done more to it, you know? But yeah, I that's like that. That's what killed Joe English. Is Joe, did Joe English die? Am I confusing my dead wings? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Let's play Is, is Joe, Joe English, English Dead? dead? I apologize if he is or if he isn't. I'm sorry for not knowing. Is Joe English still alive? Is uh, I'm looking on the inter- internet. Yes. According to our best knowledge, Joe English is still alive. And no, we are not aware of any death rumors. However, we don't know much about Joe English's health situation. Is Joe English gay or straight? Many people enjoy sharing rumors about the sexuality and sexual orientation of celebrities. We don't know for a fact whether Joe English is gay, bisexual, or straight. However, feel free to tell us what you think. Vote by clicking below. Gay, straight, or bi. And by the way, that's the order of it. (laughs) 
Oh my god, TJ, I have to sh- somehow show you this. Anyway, gay gets like one vote, bi gets one vote, and in the middle, it's straight. And that gets the most votes. So it looks like a ball, a long cock, and a little ball. <laughs> one ball, long cock, <laughs> one ball. Did you read there was apparently an orgy, not among Republicans this time, <laughs> there, there was an orgy that had, it was Lennon, David Bowie, Joe English, and Denny Lane. <laughs> they were in each other's ears and each other's eyes. <laughs> Finger pies. <laughs> okay. All righty. So much for a quick episode. Uh, <laughs> Three-parter. Three-parter. All right, two more songs. Well, the huge hit, uh, one of the huge hits, actually, because Hard Day's Night was a pretty pretty big hit, too. Can't Buy Me Love uh, vocal. This is another one on this pressing, TJ, where I heard a funny uh, EQ thing. The guitar solo Right? <laughs> yeah. It, it sounded like it was panned. The high EQ was really panned off to the right. Not just that. When Paul sings, I don't care too much for money, that's pans to the right. Money can't buy me love pans to the left. There's some vocal tricks, too. It is, this, it's wild. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, that's kind of a kick, man. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me Tony, my favorite take of this is still take one as yeah. used on anthology, but but with the incorrect guitar solo flown in from take two for no reason. Uh, the take one of this from the ultra rare track CD, which I got around 88, I think um, that's the joy of the countrified version of Can't Buy Me Love is still my favorite way to hear this song. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the first single that was done without background harmonies. Yeah. Yeah, which the uh, that country version does. Yeah, you know. right from the beginning. One, two, three. Yeah, but at any rate, Can't Buy Me Love, incredible song. Um, last song on the album, Tony, is my favorite George Martin cut that pays <laughs> homage to Dave Brubeck. I love everything about this. It is funny. It is smart. It is jazzy. It is interesting. It is weird. It is cliched. I fucking love the George Martin Orchestra take on A Hard Day's Night. got the Brubeck sounding playing the saxophone feels like an homage to Paul Desmond who played sax in the original Dave Brubeck I love the Time Out album it's one of my favorite jazz records I've got I've got a framed copy oh, yeah, of the cover right, right here I just I, I I I love it as cliche like there's a reason things are cliched but like the the jazz the jazz equivalents of like Zeppelin 4 and Abbey Road and all that are kind of blue and my favorite things and and uh, time out. Um, I love those records, and I feel this feels Tony like a credible jazz piece. Yeah, and uh, I, I I love the playing. I love how it's performed. It's fun, man. It is fun, and uh, yes, was released as a single. Uh, I want to say what was it a B side? I forget, but uh, it charted at one twenty two, regardless of its <laughs> A or B side <laughs> stature. It got to one twenty two on the charts, but it it, it did you know. Does that count as charting? I mean, yeah, yeah if it has a so. number, it charts, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I wonder if one record store day, there's going to be a box set of the George Martin vinyl uh, 45s from this album. I'd buy it. It's fun. Well, I looked, actually, I did look. Uh, you can you can get them on Discogs. Uh, I saw one going for like 12 bucks or something. So, you know, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. So, yeah, you can find it. It's, it's, it's a hard day's night. The U.S., 
uh, LP version. It has its quirks. It's different, man. It's different. Uh, you cannot find it on the Spotify or whatever you, however you stream your your paid streaming music stuff. Uh, you got to go out into the record shop and find it somehow in the wild, or go on Discogs or wherever you, eBay, whatever you do. However you do it, but we appreciate that you do it. Thank you so much for listening. You know, if you like what you've heard, you know, you got to subscribe to us. It's imperative that you subscribe to us, just as it's imperative that you enjoy a hot container of Kenny Rogers endorsed and roasted chicken. Uh, If you're in the Malaysia area or on a decent layover in Southeast uh, Southeast Asia, then you've got to get that Kenny Rogers roasters. Tea. Teacher says eat healthy. Teacher says we must eat healthy. Kenny Rogers Roasters. You run, you can hide, and you get it inside, and you take it and maybe you fart. <laughs> Sooner or later, that channel persuader is something gonna rhyme with fart, and then you start going. <laughs> TJ, TJ, wake up. It's the untitled Beatles Sports Society. That talks you into staying where you are. Six pack tonight on Channel 9's movie of the fucking week. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. Pair up in threes. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. It gets late out here early. <laughs> <laughs>